2,000 years ago, Jesus declared, I am the light of the world. This season that we're particularly in is called Advent. It is a season where we remember that the people of God were longing, expecting, anticipating this light coming into the world. As I've mentioned on numerous occasions, we are people that live in between two Advents. We're not anticipating the arrival of Jesus coming into the world the first time, but we are awaiting when Jesus will return, this time in glory, to make the crooked straight, to right all wrongs, to bring light once again, once and for all, in the midst of the darkness, to bring hope and healing and to restore what God began at creation. But I want us to sense for the next three weeks what it was like to anticipate for centuries the arrival of such a light, the arrival of such good news. And to do so, we're going to look at three passages found in the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was written 700 years before Jesus was born. Children, you think it's a long time waiting for Christmas. Try waiting 700 years for Jesus to come. But it was in those 700 years, we'll read about this morning, a nation that was covered in darkness, filled with brokenness, that they needed the message of Isaiah. They needed to know that one day in the midst of darkness, there is coming light. And in the 21st century, we need to be reminded, as we live in between two advents, No matter how dark this world is, no matter how broken our culture is, Jesus is coming again to complete what he started at his first advent, to be the light once and for all, so that that light may cover the world in all of its fullness, in all of its glory. Let's look and read about this light that is coming into the world. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, if you're someone that likes to read ahead, next week we'll be looking at Isaiah chapter 11, and the following week, Isaiah chapter 35. Three key passages that tell about the coming of Messiah, written 700 years before he arrives in the flesh. The light of the world. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. And in the latter time, he made glorious the way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelled in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you. As with joy at the harvest, they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. You have broken as on the day of Midian, forever boot of the trampling warrior and battle tumult. And every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire for unto us. A child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and the name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And on the second Sunday of Advent, the grass continues to wither, the flower continues to fade, but no, not the word of our Lord. It stands forever. Amen. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Nobody likes darkness. From the moment we are born, we dread being left in the dark. A few years ago, I read an article entitled, What Would Happen If the Sun Went Out? As if we don't have enough things to worry about. But this article goes on to explain what would happen if the sun stopped shining. Well, first of all, it would take about 8 minutes and 20 seconds for us to realize it. Eventually, the temperatures would plunge. We'd hit, eventually, within hours, zero degrees. At the end of the year, 100 degrees below zero, eventually settling down at 400 degrees below zero. We would begin to die and perish without the source of light. But just as the sun that shines in the sky provides us light and life, we are foolish to think that we can live without the light that comes from God himself. That there is a light that comes into the world. That there is a light promised by God that breaks forth into the midst of darkness. That without this light that we read about at Christmas, there is no hope for life on this earth. 700 years before Jesus was born, the Assyrians had wreaked havoc upon the nation of Israel They were devastated and destroyed. They were a people living in a very desperate situation, living in darkness. And just as they needed a reminder that God is sending forth light, we too, who feel the effects of this darkness every day, need to be reminded of the light that comes. Not the light that shines in the sky, but the light that comes from heaven above. I don't think I need to remind anyone here in this room of the darkness and brokenness of life. Over the last year and a half, I have cried with more people than I have done my entire life, experiencing loss of children, loss of spouse, experiencing the loss of financial security, experiencing the the end of a dream experiencing in in full measure the brokenness and darkness of this world. And just as they needed good news of light in the midst of the darkness 700 years before the first advent, we need this hope of real light shining in our darkness yet again. What do we learn concerning this light that comes from above? Well, the first thing we see concerning this light in Isaiah chapter 9 is the arrival It is the arrival of light in the most shocking manner. Now, if you were to imagine light coming into the world that would transform this world and turn this world upside down, you would imagine that this light would eventually come in the first century and settle and arrive in Rome. Rome was the capital of the world. It was the center of the universe. 
or maybe more particularly for the Jewish people, maybe you would think that the light would arrive in Jerusalem. But we're told in verse 1 that the arrival of this light comes in the most shocking way. It comes to the land, in verse 1, the land of contempt, the land of Zebulun, and the land of Nephali. Now, where are these two places? If you remember in the Old Testament, Zebulun and Nephali were the two tri- were two of the tribes of Israel, and they were given land in the northeast quadrant of Israel. So think New England, New York, New Jersey, right, on the map. That's where Nephali and Zebulun were located. The problem with this region of Israel is it was on the border of the enemy. So eventually, when Israel gets sacked and they exile the Jewish people, the first people to go, the majority of the people, come from this region. And when they are held captive by the Assyrians, they begin to intermarry with the pagan Gentiles. They begin to practice and adopt pagan rituals and pagan religious ideals. And so when they come back out of captivity and they resettle the land of Zebulun and Nephali, it becomes this mixed bag of a mixture of religion, a mixture of pagan practices, and the people of pure Jewish descent, those from Jerusalem, look down upon Nephali and Zebulun, and it becomes, and it's given the name, which is a derogatory name, as you can see in verse 1, the Galilee of the nations. They're not the pure Jewish people. It's the armpit of Israel. Why is that significant? The message of Christmas is that the light does not arrive to the upper crust of society. The light does not come to those that are perfect and clean. The light does not arrive to those that you would expect it to arrive to. But the light of God arrives to the insignificant, to the unwanted. The light arrives to the least likely candidates. This would be the place, Galilee of the nations, where Jesus would set up shop in fulfillment of this verse. He would do his ministry not in Jerusalem, but in Galilee of the nations. The place that was held in contempt in Isaiah's day and the place that was held in contempt in Jesus' day. God's promise is that although your life might feel like you live in the Galilee of the nations, you might feel like you are a resident of Zebulun and Nephali, that God has come for you. You might be here this morning and say, my life is rather insignificant. I often feel invisible. I've been rejected. I have been discarded. And I just don't seem like I ever measure up. Well, the good news of Advent and Christmas is that Jesus has broke forth into this world as the light, and he's come to you. He has come to your Zebulun. He's come to your Nephali. And the followers of Jesus Christ understand that we follow one who went low and was humbled, and that that is what virtuous living looks like. The good news of Christmas is God seems to like nobodies. And that is good news for people like you and me. The light comes into the world in the most shocking way. The second thing we see in this passage is not just the arrival of this light, 
but we finally see the identity of the light. How will this light come? In what form? What is the nature of the light? Well, we read finally in verse 6. After hearing in verse 2 through 5 what this light will do, what this light's mission is, you are expecting in verse 6 to find out, wanting to find out that this light must, must come in the most glorious fashion. And maybe a, a warrior king. But we find out in verse 6 that the light comes in the form of a baby. Verse 6, for unto us a child is born, a son is given. Talk about anticlimactic. A baby? A baby that can't walk? A baby that can't talk? A baby that is dependent upon mother and father? We don't have to go through the details about how a baby enters into this world. But it's not the easiest thing, right moms? From the moment a child comes into this world, it is hard and harsh. Raising a child in this world is hard and harsh. And the good news of Christmas, that God comes in the form of a baby, is so that you would know that there is not one thing in your life that is disconnected from God. That God is never removed from your pain. God is never removed from your suffering. God is never removed from the darkness of your life and the darkness of this world. He came down in the most inglorious fashion, even as a humble, lowly baby. So that regardless of what you're experiencing today, you can know this morning, my God has experienced that. He's experienced the pain. He's experienced the rejection. He's experienced the suffering. He's experienced the darkness. He's experienced the suffering and even the shame. And this is what separates Christianity from all other world religions. You see, if you ever have said before, all world religions are the same, you don't know what you're talking about. Because only Christianity has a God that comes in the form of flesh. Only God coming in the form of a human being and even a child, the humble means of a baby. That is what separates Christianity from all other worldviews and all other world religions so that you would know through the story of Christianity and the story of the gospel, I have a God that is for me because my God became like me in the flesh. That is what we celebrate at Christmas time. As pastor, I get this question all the time. Why doesn't God just end all suffering? Why doesn't God just end all brokenness? Why, why does God still allow bad things to happen? I can't answer that question, but I can tell you this. You can never say that God doesn't care. You can never say that God is removed that God is not able to empathize. The Christ child signals to the world that God cares deeply, even sending his son into this world. And so when the loss this Christmas season feels absolutely overwhelming, and the burdens of this life seem absolutely crushing, look to the Christ child who took on these burdens and became the light in the midst of of the darkness two years ago I was standing with a father following the funeral of his 14 year old son and as I held him 
He just asks the obvious question. Why? Why? I couldn't tell them why. But I could tell them that God hates this. And God has sent his son into the world to do something about it. That is the good news of Christmas. God in the flesh. We read about the arrival of this light. We read about the identity of this light. Third and lastly, we read about the mission of this light. What's the big deal? What has this light actually come to do? Well, to understand how profound the mission of this light was that came into the world 2,000 years ago, you need to understand the nature of how bad the world was at this time. From the time of Isaiah all the way through the arrival of Jesus Christ, the world was utterly dark. Oppressive governments, corrupt regimes, abortion and infanticide rampant, women were brutalized, governments were corrupt and tyrannical, and it is into the darkness of that world that this light came in. And we read at the second half of verse 6 that this light has come in to establish a government that will last forever. In the midst of a corrupt government, in the, rip, in the midst of corrupt culture, and the brokenness and darkness of this world, this light has come to make all things new. And look at the titles. This child... Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These were all titles given to kings. These were titles given to warriors that would go out into battle and conquer the enemy. And don't underestimate this child. This child would eventually grow up and become this conquering warrior who would conquer sin and death on our behalf once and for all. God's promise is that he has sent his son into the world as the light in the flesh as a conquering war hero. And it is the announcement to the world, the good news that this light has come into the midst of the darkness and there is no more death, no more sin no more dying, no more brokenness, no more darkness, no more ISIS, no more abortion, no more cancer, no more saying goodbye to loved ones prematurely. It's the end of death and dying, the end of brokenness and darkness. This is the good news. But the greatest news is that God does not do this himself but he chooses to use you and me as the bearers of this light. You see, the same Jesus that announced that he was the light of the world is the same Jesus that says you are the light so that we have the privilege to co-labor with God to take this light that has come into the world and spread it to the dark corners of the earth, to take it to the dark places of our culture, you see, the children of God are not afraid of the dark, but we are the children of God that wake up every day and we declare war against the darkness and brokenness of our culture. We are not the people of God who sit idly on our hands, but we arise in the morning not according to our strength, but according to the strength of God and declare war against darkness on behalf of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we were once 
people of God who walked in darkness. But we have seen a great light. And the only question that remains this morning is how in the world do you receive it? If this light is this profound, if this light has the ability to transform the world and to transform your life, how do you receive it? Well, the key is given to us in the passage. We're told a son is not earned. We're told that a son doesn't have to be, you don't have to work for his favor and his approval, but we're told in the passage that a son is given. You don't work for a gift. The son is given as a gift of God's grace to you. The problem is this. Will you humble yourself this morning to receive a child, to receive a son, and understand that this child who was born as the God-man has come into the world to do what seemed impossible, but to be the light in the midst of your darkness. It is the God's gift of free grace offered to you this Christmas season. And the glorious news is this, that the government is not riding on your shoulders. But we're told the government's riding on his shoulders. Could you imagine if all of this, if you had to leave here this morning and had to fix the brokenness of this world, the good news of Christmas, that God came down to fix what you could never fix, to bring hope and healing to that which is broken. This past week, I was up in Washington, D.C., and one evening we were walking around through all the monuments, and we were looking at these monuments and reflecting on the greatness of, the, the, of these figures that have led our nation. Figures like George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and Martin Luther King Jr. Some of the greatest leaders this country has ever seen, the greatest leaders this world has ever seen. But all of these men had one thing in common. They're all dead. But there is one man who is and was and is forevermore, Jesus the Christ. He is the hero you long for. He is the war, conquering war hero that deep down inside you long for. And my question is, will you humble yourself to give your life to him? Surrender your life to the one who surrendered everything for you. There are two people in life. The person that understands and thinks that God is against them and the person that knows that God is for them, this Christmas, embrace the good news that God is for you because of Jesus Christ, a child born for you. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. We were once the people that walked in darkness, but the good news this morning is that we have seen a great light. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, there are some here this morning, they've heard the Christmas stories. They've read the passages in Isaiah. And for some of them, the, these passages become routine. They lose the effect. They lose the power. But Lord, we all know that each one of us deals with brokenness and darkness. 
And so, Lord, I pray that for those that have maybe been walking with God, been children of God for years, that, Lord, this Christmas season, during this Advent, the season of preparation, that your word would be living and active to them, that they would see your word in a whole new light, that they would discover again the beauty and the glory of the light coming into the darkness, and may they understand the profound effect it has in the brokenness and the darkness of their life. Lord, may it transform us and sanctify us so that we would live lives as children of God set apart to be that light of the world that Jesus called us to be, that while you're reigning in heaven, you reign and you rule your kingdom through us, your church. May we be people that do, do not shrink back in this cultural moment, but go out into the dark corners of the world, into the brokenness of our culture, bringing the light of good news, bringing the light of Jesus to people who walk in darkness. But Lord, there are some here this morning and watching at home that have resisted the light. They've tried to fix their brokenness. They've tried to fix and to clean up their lives. I pray that they would understand that how empty their lives are. I pray that they would understand how fleeting it is to think that they can live a life as if you don't exist, to live a life as if they don't need you. And may they surrender their life right now, not tomorrow, not even this evening. May this be a moment of surrender where they allow the light of the gospel to enter into the darkness of their heart. Maybe they just want to say this, these simple words, God, forgive me of my sin. Come into the darkness of my life. I want the light of your gospel. I want the light of Jesus to shine where it's dark. Transform me from an orphan and into a child of God. I want to be counted as one who has the favor of God. I want to be known as, as one who God is not against, but God is for. And I want to receive the free gift of eternal life. I want to receive the gracious gift of a son, a child. Lord, I humble myself and surrender myself to receive the good news of the son, the child, who came as the light of the world. May that light shine in my life now and forevermore. And it's in Jesus' name I pray these prayers. Amen.